On November 9th, join us for Benzinga's 7th Annual Fintech Awards. It's going to be a day full of networking, deal-making, and recognition of incredible achievements you won't want to miss. Let's get ready to rumble! Oh, look, we're up there now. What's up, guys? How we doing? Spencer, AB. AB, how was your weekend? It was good, man. I was actually down in Chicago. Uh, took the train there, took the train back. Great experience, really. All right, cool. I was down in New Jersey, took the plane there and the plane back, and it was an okay experience. How, how was the airport like condition? Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you asked. We got a lot to get to, but the first, let's take a minute and talk about air travel. Uh, it was insane. I had a 6 a.m. flight on Saturday morning, and I almost missed it because of how busy the airport was. I thought, how busy could it be at 6 in the morning on a Saturday? busy it turns out uh so that was crazy almost missed the way we were literally running through the airport to catch our flight never done that before in my life and then the way back yesterday we're in we're at newark uh, new jersey flying out there and we're at the united terminal and the line for security went through the entire length of the terminal i've never seen that before and i've flown on thanksgiving i'm i've flown on christmas on new year's and i've never seen the line go the length it, 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 it went downstairs through the entire length of the building it was it was insane it was like an hour line for security and the line was moving it yeah, was still I, an hour i've seen some uh like reporters and stuff that cover uh, airline and travel in general, basically saying, look, if, if you're preparing to fly for Thanksgiving or the holiday season this year, give yourself extra time. The yes. airports will be crazy. They, you know, they, some of these airlines might um, still be a little bit understaffed. So expect like bigger weight lines. So, yep. I, I mean, I don't know from a, from a stock perspective, what that's going to look like for the airlines. All I know is from a, from a travel standpoint, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm flying back home to Missouri for Thanksgiving, I'm giving myself some extra time this year yeah for sure uh tiny pie is asking if we had a home alone it yes we home alone it we were literally sprinting through the airport together we made it by maybe five minutes before they, they shut the gate uh it was it was it was a touch and go there um but anyway enough about that um let's first before we go any further i should mention that we do have a sponsor on today's show we are still um we're still up to that level. We've made it, right? We, we've achieved a sponsor. And just like last week, the sponsor for today's show is the IG Forex Trading Summit. You can join them on November 9th. It is an interactive virtual trading summit featuring industry experts teaching you all things Forex. You can learn the basics, how to use Forex, how to diversify your portfolio, how to, uh, you take a contrarian approach to Forex, and how IG's experts make their own trades using the platform. Special guests include the VP of No Nonsense Forex, Brian uh, and uh, Brian Caprice. Register today for your free virtual event bag filled with courses, exclusive content, and more. Again, November 9th, 11 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. I should the link should be there in the chat and it should also be on the screen. Well, there it is now on the screen. IG.com slash US slash trading summit. Again, that's tomorrow, isn't it? Yes, it is. November 9th. Yes, today's the eighth. All right. Tomorrow, eleven to three PM Eastern Time. IG Forex Trading Summit. Check it out. Also, that is not the only event tomorrow. I'd be remiss to ignore. Did I use that right? I'd be remiss to mention 
How do I use that? I don't know quite sure. You'd be remiss to ignore. Yep. I'd be remiss, to, I'd be remiss yep. to not mention the Benzinga FinTech Awards all day event tomorrow. If you are in New York, come to the after party. Just go to BenzingaFinTechAwards.com to learn more how to do that. Uh, it is a day for us to celebrate all the innovations in fintech this year we're giving away awards we're having some panels doing some cool stuff if you're if you're like us and like you're into the markets but you're also into like the the companies and the people that are like bringing us forward and not just in terms of like stocks but in terms of like technology and bringing access to people for different things and this is the day for you we have a whole day to just celebrate innovation in the capital market space so it'll be tomorrow fintech awards here on this channel um as far as guests for today we do have a lot as usual this is what we do here on the show our first guest we're going to bring on him bring him on in just a second here matt hammond from ipo warriors we have a big week in ipo land i have a couple questions for matt after matt uh we've got a new guest Tui Cordemont, she's the CEO of Procure, uh, ticker PCOR. We're going to talk all about the, the happening basically in the construction business right now because his company is basically a technology platform for construction companies. Uh, so we'll talk to Tui all about that at 12. It'll be at 12.45. Uh, we'll have Jake Wojcik from Trendspotter on the show at 1, and we'll have Chris Capri from Second Skies Trading on at 1.30. Sound good, A.B.? Sounds perfect, yeah. All right. Um, Spencer, let, let's talk about some big news that came out over the weekend. Real fast, and then we'll, and then we'll get to Matt. Yeah, okay, real fast. Cool. Uh, Elon Musk. Oh, gosh. Yes. So Elon Musk, I'm sure most people watching are aware, threw out a tweet essentially with a poll saying, uh, should I sell what was it, 10% of, of his Tesla uh, yes. stock? Yes. And uh, I, have some, we, I have some thoughts on it. You have thoughts. Yeah. I mean, this is all opinion-based. No... Uh, you know, I guess facts or data to back this up, but essentially Elon Musk, he's a genius. He made it sound like his reason for selling 10% of his stock would be so, so that he can pay taxes. He doesn't want to be tagged as someone who's avoiding paying taxes. And since he has no income, really the only way for him to pay taxes is to realize some of his capital gains and right. pay taxes on that. So if Elon Musk just goes out and sells 10% of his Tesla stock on his own, no explanation, uh, people would be asking questions and it, it would raise some, uh, you know, criticism. I, I think the stock price would would drop. Uh, but this way, he, he can make it sound like he's doing it uh, for a very good reason to pay to, you know, whatever it is. Out of the goodness of his heart. Exactly. Like, he's such a good guy. He's willing to pay. But, and here's what I'm saying, just my opinion, not, it's my opinion. It doesn't mean anything. I think he wants to sell, and he's doing this in a, in a not sell oh, his his Tesla position, but he's he wants to sell a little of it with the stock price so high. See, I think I think he's already sold. You think he already has, and now he so he knows it's going to come out in the next filing, so he's getting out in front of it this yep. way. Yep. But the question is, how did he know then that? Yes, would be the one picked in this Twitter poll. <laughs> well, he didn't. He didn't is the answer. But but if he already sold and then Noah selected, then he'd be in kind of a tough position, you know. Then he could just say, "Thanks you for your opinion, but I'm doing what I want. <laughs> it's my money, you know." <laughs> uh, no, I suspect he already sold. Put a one in the chat if you suspect Elon Musk already sold some Tesla. Uh, put a two if you think that he has not sold anything yet and and, and will 
Um, and Solar Up, he said he does not. Well, actually, no, this is an interesting point from Solar Up. He, Elon didn't, he wasn't specific about, about all his companies. He said he takes no income as CEO. Well, it's not CEO anymore, right? He takes no income from Tesla. I don't think he was, he wasn't clear about SpaceX or the boring company. Um, interesting observation, Solar Up. Good point. Okay. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons that I think he Musk may have been like already so so last week, uh, Musk's brother Kimball yeah. Musk sold a bunch of Tesla shares, and I imagine they, uh, you know, talk about this stuff. They're brothers after all, and among business part, you know, everything. So if yeah, yeah. if Kimball has a reason to sell, why would Musk not also have that same reason? I don't know. They, we they, will- they have options that are that are com- that are going to expire in the next. 10 months they're just trying to get out ahead of that like a lot of options that that they've had for like a decade um yeah and i so- mean we'll, we'll see in due time again that's just my thesis is, is musk in his sly genius way is be is uh marketing it essentially as a positive reason to sell 10% okay so he's out there playing chess we're over here playing tic-tac-toe exactly all right that's fair enough hey let's bring on our first guest today we got a big big week in ipo land a couple of big ones the biggest one probably rivian let's get to that with our guest matt hammond from ipo warriors joins us every monday to talk about what is to come in ipos this week matt good uh afternoon how are we doing today yeah, good evening. Actually, it's seven p.m. out here. Good evening Ukraine, for you. But uh, good evening. Yeah, we are doing. We're doing. Uh, we got a lot to get to. So let's jump sure. right in. And uh, I, I, frankly, I, I just want to know about this week. I, I don't even know. I, unless you had anything crazy happening last uh, week, let's just go right into it. We do have some crazy things, but first, I wanted to get started. You guys okay. can see my camera lighting and my. Uh, you know, I'd like to be a little bit further back. Um, I want to do some also live streaming of IPOs. So I'm kind of reaching out to the community uh, and asking for some support here to buy some better streaming gear. We're already, I'm only asking for about $2,000. We're already $1,500 into it. Um, just need to get a better lens. I need to get a continuous power supply. We might uh, even lose the, the video feed here partway through this one. And then if I have anything extra, some lighting and a monitor. There's the link there, Fundly slash IPO Warriors streaming. Let's get Matt. Let's get Matt some better streaming yeah, equipment. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. I want to look better. I want to be a little brighter, and I want to do some live streaming. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's something we could, you guys could tap into on big IPO days. Um, so help me move in that direction, guys. Thanks. Okay. Uh, looking back, we'll go back. Last week had some really good ones. Oh, I missed the, the, the print here on Nerds was like 50% also. Um, I – so – if you remember about a month ago, I called out pets and it was that day we were having all these um, technical difficulties and it got, we did the whole show. And at the end I said, Hey, here's a recent IPO. They just did a follow-up offering and it was Bostead securities. Pets was at a dollar 40 right then. Um, I said, I don't know when, but this looks like one of those like new move Chinese stealth IPOs. They've run out of, um, you know, they can't do Chinese IPOs. So, uh, you know, they're looking for other ways to move money out of China. And they just did this really weird looking direct offering on pets. Well, just last week, um, pets like did another follow up offering and it dropped from a dollar or from two twenty five down to a dollar in like one second at the close of the bell. And then it shot up in after hours to a high of eight dollars. So if you bought in when I first alerted it, you got in at a dollar forty. Right now it's at about three eighty. 
and it's been very volatile. I still don't think they've done the, the you know the big pump yet. This is not financial advice, and this is really it's kind of running actually as we speak right now. Um, but it's an interesting play, and uh, it was kind of one of the original stealth IPOs. So that was like a big up. And then I did pretty well on uh, Nerd Wallet. I didn't play Allbirds because my friend's a CEO, and I thought you know I might my mentality would be uh, clouded by that. And then I totally broke all my rules and lost a lot of money on mains. So the reason I okay. like to look back at even the ones where I lose money is those are where you learn the lessons that you bring forward. Anyway, Allbirds was super easy. If you like this one and you saw that, hey, I think the math to do here was tech. You know, I guess tech elite really love this brand of shoes. They all wear it as kind of like the cool thing to wear. Uh, debuted at 21 and just shot straight up. I mean, it was just an uphill ride. This was exactly the kind of play that I love to be in. And I can only say, well, I sort of made the, I made the moral decision not to play it. Not moral so much as just mental. I know a few CEOs of companies. I sat out of Compass because the CEO is a friend of mine. I sat up out of this one. I just feel like I want them to do well. So I'm like applying this confirmation bias. And when I'm aware of that, I just say, hey, better to, you know, better to leave it alone. And in this case, I was wrong. It, uh, or, you know, it, it didn't work to my advantage. But this kind of play, you just let it go up and then set your stop loss, you know, right? Once, once it clears, say, 22, 23, set your stop loss. And you had all day to ride this out think if you trail that stop loss here, maybe you get out of 25 or 26. If you really love this and you let it run to 30, great. Um, you do want to sell these kind of popular names. I think it's down back to 24 today. But, um, you know, this was a great IPO opportunity and a perfect example of how brand name recognition can drive the stock, uh, the stock up off the debut. Now, I used what I saw on day with Allbirds to play Nerd Wallet, which I originally said that I didn't really love it. But when you go on social media and people are posting, you know, nerds memes uh, in relation yeah. to this IPO and the, you know, the float was 7 million shares. So it really didn't take a whole lot. It was kind of a, you know, had a brief moment of memedom and it debuted in, in the, watching the indication price it started out kind of at 21 and they sold that easily. So they moved it up to 22 and then towards 23 and you're like, okay, clearly the demand is showing up for this. And, you know, you bought in on the debut, it halted right away. Uh, for me, I could see that there was in the level two data, there was still buy orders up to 30 and not a lot of sell orders up until about 30. So I said, you know what, this was an unexpected win. I set a limit order at 29.85, just below that kind of 30 level and took my profits there. If you held on longer, you got rewarded with another uh, halt around here. Uh, and then it spiked up to 34. So uh, if you did hold to that second halt, I would really be advising you to take your you know, total profits off the table at that point. Um, this was a great win in at 20, you know, 23 out at 30 or out above 30. So we had two kind of really nice winners, you know, going into Friday. And then Mains did exactly what I thought it would do. Uh, this was a $5 Bostead special with a 2 million share float. And I just was, you know, I'm dealing with some, not to bring too much personal stuff. My dad's in the hospital. He's been out all week. Oh. It's a pretty bad situation. And I just wasn't in a fully clear frame of mind. And I missed the indication. Um, it, it went super early. 
and this had been rescheduled from the day before. The day before, they had said they were going to take it live at around 11.50, which is pretty late. And then Friday was a full slate. So I kind of, I don't know why in my mind thought, oh, well, they won't do it till 11 or 12, so we have some time. You know, I was kind of getting into my trading day and was just looking at other things, getting out of some other positions. The market was hot, and I missed this entry. And I had planned to go pretty big because it did what I thought it did, would do. It halted up, opened up above the halt, and that's where I would have exited. That was my play right there. And instead, I said, "Damn, I missed it. Okay, screw it. I'm gonna, um, you know, I'm gonna chase this one." Everyone's been talking about it. I have two rules in trading IPOs. The first one is take profits without regret. The second one yep. is don't chase. And I chased. And you know, there's just no, there was no way out of it once I once I chased. And I sold because even though it came up a bit this morning in early pre-market, I, I wasn't trading this in a Webull account. And really, like, I'm up so much on the Pets play and the IINN play and, all, you know, the other IPOs in the last month have done really well. I had to look at what is my position for further risk because this could go down to five or lower. And I just decided, look, you got to eat the bad loss now because my portfolio is still in a great position to keep trading. And if I take any more loss, I'm going to start getting towards, you know, a handcuffed position that I don't want to be in. So anyway, I like to analyze my losses as much, you know, as much as it's not very fun. And I'll, you know, discuss them with other people and I'll share them because I'm not infallible. This isn't a foolproof strategy. But if I did follow the rules, I wouldn't have gotten hurt. I would have taken a big profit, which just adds more pain to the injury. Oh, pets just ran, just ran from 3.6 at the beginning of this show in the last few minutes to breaking $4. This one really could do something crazy. Uh, we've seen Boasted, Chinese, it's Chinese dog food. You can't love the company. You just have to understand that, um, you know, it's, it's a crazy stock. Keep an eye on it. Uh, okay, let's put that aside. This week, we've got a bunch of very yes, interesting This ones. is the one I want to know about, Hertz. Let's okay, go, so Hertz. Round I two, think, baby. Yeah, and, and this one hurts me too because I penny traded, you know, about a year ago when it, right before it delisted, about a couple of weeks before, I got stuck oh, in a man. tiny upside down position. I held it. It delisted. It, you know, dropped in half. And when it came back up a little bit, I said, you know, screw it. I'm going to get out of this. I might lose everything here. And I can't, you know, I can't be too angry because there were other opportunities after that where I could have bought for even cheaper. I mean, if I really loved this for some reason. But um, yeah, now we know it's coming way back. We had Avis go kind of brief meme, uh, short squeeze last week. So Hertz has kind of a good timing here for bringing, you know, bringing itself public. But it's not actually raising money for the company. It's raising, uh, it's raising money for the investors who bailed it out of bankruptcy. Great so like point. Great point. Move, move means this isn't an IPO that to me is going to be a bunch of institutions saying, hmm, we like this company. We'll take a block of shares. This is going to be or this is very likely that this is a pure liquidity event. So even though, the, you know, so on top of a pretty large float of 30 million shares, you're not talking about half of that or two thirds of it being held up by uh, institutions likely. I mean, we're talking about an opportunity for people who bailed this company out for pennies on the dollar, getting to cash out at a time when it's not a bad time to take, you know, to take your profits along with everybody else who, you know, who has been day trading the OTC ticker. 
So for me, yep. it's really dangerous to buy this right at the debut. Um, then again, uh, this could just, you know, it's when do you, how often do you have an IPO that has already been trading with meme, you know, with meme strength? Yeah, you're so right. You're right. I'm not even going to bother to talk about financials here. I'm not going to talk about Tesla. I'm not going to talk about anything other than this is going to be a battle of sellers uh, who are, you know, playing the financial smart card versus meme stock traders who could blow this up into, I mean, this could easily drop to $10 and it could, you know, there's no reason why it couldn't run to like $150. So I don't know. This is, you flip a coin, uh, play it with money that you might as well, you know, that you'd be comfortable throwing in the trash. Uh, for me, it's kind of like, well, let's just see what it does off the, off the debut or at least try to gauge something about what's happening in the pre-debut indication. So we can see the number of shares that are being kind of uh, out uh, slotted up for the opening trade in the pre-debut indication on the Weeble mobile app. So if I'm seeing something absurd, like 15 million shares being traded in the opening minute, then that's kind of, you know, if that's, if that's pushing the debut price up, then I'm going to say, wow, uh, maybe this really is the meme, you know, the meme strength. If it starts, you know, if it's a sell side imbalance and it's pers- pushing the price down, I'm going to say, well, let's just see how far this falls off the open. And even then, I'm probably more likely to say, let's see how which way this starts to move and then anticipate that being a bit of a, of a continuation. So I have no, I have no way to predict what's going to happen. I've laid out the factors that I can understand. But we're talking about people, everybody who owns shares of this is way up. And there are a lot, there are a lot of shares to sell. So, yeah, you know. that, that's the bottom line. Think about, think about who you're raising money for. It's not the you're company. Not, exactly. Yeah, that's, the, that's all I need to know. But to Matt's point, stock can do anything on day one or day two. But think, think about who's, who's selling to you, right? <laughs> Who are you giving your money to? Yeah, who <laughs> are you giving your to money to? It's, for them to save, not, you know, to further save the company. You're kind of like uh, rewarding the people who bought the brand name and are. I love it. You know, sitting on the, on the ass. I love it. That's that's key insight. All right, what 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 a society pass? I don't know this mm-hmm. one. So this one, I mean, this one has some interesting factors to it. Uh, it's basically a garbage company, which of course we like. Um, because the underwriter is one of these underwriters that does sort of shady IPOs. Uh, Maxim is the underwriter. They have done a few, they're kind of one of these low float specialists, a bit like Boasted with more mixed results. Um, but Think Equity and Maxim have, and EF Hutton, uh, these have all kind of gotten in, kind of hip to the game of these low float, uh, you know, rando companies that both get pumped on social media, but also seem to sometimes just get manipulated from the inside. Um, What's interesting about this one is that the, you know, the line of work they're in is their e-commerce and lifestyle websites in Southeast Asia. Now these sites are not profitable. They don't have much revenue. There's nothing uh, mainstream about this at all. But when I see this trend of, and we know what's going on in China, you know, the Chinese government, the PRC is locking down on 
the wealthy in China and the wealthy are panicking and they're trying to find ways to move money out of China. And we before kind of came up with this uh, theory that seems to be backed, which is that these random Chinese companies that get pumped, uh, you know, and they just go up and up and then all of a sudden they get the rug pulled out from them. I mean, you look at CNEY today, which was a Network One Solutions IPO from a few months ago, you know, steadily ran up from the four or five dollar level uh, up to about twelve dollars and just, you know, dropped fifty five percent today on, uh, you know, they sold off. TIRX did this uh, um, about six months ago, went up to over one hundred dollars, fell ninety percent in one day. Uh, so the, you know, the theory Whoa. is, and, and, and what I see, I mean, we saw that $5 stock JZXN, uh, $5 IPO that debuted trading at $45. I mean, the only explanation I have for that is that somebody wants to overpay to somebody else who is selling, you know, something that nobody else would interfere with. No one else is going to buy JZXN at $45 to $50. You know, the only people doing that are people who are like, look, I'm trying to move my money out of China and into Hong Kong or America, or, you know, a bank account that's not controlled by the PRC. And the easy, there's a really, you know, kind of easy genius way to do that is to give a bunch of shares to someone I know outside of China and find a way to, you know, pair trade those so that I'm spending all my money, you know, from my Chinese account into, you know, buying their shares and moving it over there. And that's what I see. The, the only explanation I have for the pet setup follows that rule. And this one's interesting because the products are in Southeast Asia. So it's feasible the Chinese, you know, investors had an easier time getting their money from China into a Chinese, you know, a Southeast Asian account or company, and they're going to move that. We haven't seen any like truly stealth IPOs recently. And this one kind of looks like it because it's not on a bunch of the other, you know, uh, mainstream calendars. Let me check if they added it to uh, the NASDAQ calendar. Um, yeah, it's on there now. Uh, and the price is eight to $10, but still it's a low float stock. It's maxim. Who knows? Uh, maybe play it. If you do don't chase and get out after, um, you know, after the first halt is my advice. Okay. Third coast bank shares, TCBX, uh, whatever commercial banks in Texas, low float, but these pretty much. Ooh, that's not what we want, man. You, you know, what we want. You know, you know what we want. We're, we're going to get to what you want, but first, I'm going right. to give you the one right. you, should, okay. you should want. This is okay. my kind of pick of the week that's, uh, in terms of, I feel pretty, I would feel, I do feel pretty comfortable putting, you know, a solid play into this one. This is Expensify. And I think a lot of you are familiar with this or have heard of it. It's basically like travel and expense management software that allows companies and kind of groups of friends to, you know, keep track of who spent what in and, you know, sort out who owes what at the end of a trip or companies can kind of give access to funds to their employees to go buy office supplies or, you know, go on a go to a trade show or go on a sale, you know, that kind of thing. So it's a kind of in the fintech space and the revenue growth is impressive. Uh, revenue growth is up 60 percent in the last six months. Gross profits up 96 percent. And yeah, some of that does go, you know, it's you're comparing against, again, you're comparing against COVID lockdown, but this has positive operating profit, net income and cash flow. And when we've seen uh, tech, fintech, uh, in the, you know, anything in those veins that have 
impressive growth numbers and are in the you know the positive baseline financials, those have been really you know strong plays. And with a float of just 10 million shares, to me, this is kind of like, okay, I like this. This is the setup I like, and uh, I will be taking a swing on this one. I think it's probably the, okay. without okay. having to bet on meme strength or something like that, this is this is the one I like. This is the one you were okay. looking for, right? Because Scent does No, that's of, not the uh, one. You... They, they do a lot of advertising on YouTube, right? That you know, ain't creating, it. That ain't YouTube it. Okay, this is an institutional play. They do have a lot of ads on YouTube right now. I just noticed them. Uh, consulting and engineering ser- services. Uh, it's probably like one of those like smart companies to invest your money for 10 years. But um, boring to me. I don't think retail has a lot of interest in this kind of play. And I you know, just there's other there's other things that are going to drown this out for retail traders. Uh, Flex Energy is also not the one you're 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 interested in, but we did and re- reviewed this last week, so I'm just going to skip it. Yeah, I, it's, I low float. Uh, it's low float, but it's Roth Capital. People don't like that, and the financials are absolutely horrible. So uh, no, thank you. Maybe I'm wrong. Now we get to what we're you know the main event. Yes, so, CNBC will be covering this. Everyone is looking for Rivian Automotive. This is the you know I mean this is. Other than people are saying, okay, well, there's Tesla and now there's like Rivian. I know there's a lot of other players and I you know, I know people talk about them, but people have been looking towards Rivian because they have the electric pickup truck and they have on tap electric vans that are, uh, they already have a non-binding order with Amazon for 100,000 vehicles, plus the exclusive rights to purchase, you know, the vans you know, for four year first right of refusal. Um their investors include Amazon and Ford, which, you know, you might say, oh, that seems sort of um, like they're you know, competing against each other. Right. But shows that people, you know, serious players are do believe in them. They have no revenue. Um, that seems to not matter whether they have revenue or profits. Uh, I think they've only produced 100 and something vehicles so far off the off the line, but they are in production. And there will be a second product launch in December, which would be a nice catalyst. But the thing that makes me a little bit wary about playing the IPO on this one is 135 million shares. Yeah, we know. We know you hate. We know you hate those big floats. Yeah, I mean they are not particularly risky. They just don't add up to a big upside. And this could be different because it's EV. It's uh, a super hot EV. Tesla, yeah, cooling down a little bit on something totally not, you know, unrelated. I mean, I don't know what to say about Tesla. There's no, there's no. I don't know either. I don't know. It's, so, it's just so did anything that the okay EVs are like patently allowed to be detached from fundamentals, and so you just that's kind of the take rule. That's that's the rule of the market. Yeah, I, you know, they kind of get hot and cold in in groups, um, and fundamentally, I just sort of scratch my head on them. It's like, I don't know. They don't, you know, automobiles were not profitable for a long time. And now all of a sudden EVs come along and people, and Tesla's not profitable if if you take out the, you know, the subsidies and credits and everyone just thinks that they're like, I'm like, with software, you know, the, you know, the No, they, I I think they were, they were profitable for like a quarter or two. uh, If you took away, I think. Without the, Oh no no no! They no no! I don't. Yeah, you're. I think you're right. I think you're right. Never mind. Never mind. So the point is that making you know make 
how, how many of these companies have, to, at some point there's going to be, I think, a reckoning where these companies actually start either consolidating or going out of business. Um, you're talking about these companies have all their eggs in, you know, a couple baskets, especially these new ones. And we know that vehicles are kind of, you know, some people love, you know, some models do really well and they're super popular. Other models absolutely mm -hmm. get you know, a tank. So if a company comes to market with something that for whatever reason people don't like, it's, or it's too expensive. I mean, the Rivian vehicles are expensive. They're twice, the, the base price of the R1T is twice uh, the electric F-150. Um, you know, and so you look at these things and you're saying, well, I think the story might carry this up uh, and it could do really well. Um, but, you know, eventually two, three, four years from now, there's going to be, it, it would seem that EVs are less of a sexy new kid on the block and more of a Matt, okay, well, Matt you're you're harshing my you're harshing my vibe, man. You're you're come on. This is not so where you, I thought this was. Take, you have to take these. You know, you, you have to look at the. Okay, for the long term investment, I don't know. I don't particularly like them. In the near term, okay, I think that this goes up because people want to like it. it has catalysts on the future. So if you want to play this for like a few months and hope that it goes up from where you buy it, but I'm looking at the first one to two days of trading this and i see a lot of hype around it it's going to take all day long for them to pair up all these shares it's going to go live probably at like after one in the afternoon that's and, what i was gonna say yeah and, so, and as far as the, as far as the pricing as far as the pricing um we don't have a price yet as i understand it but okay. i believe the range is like high 50s to low 60s i think is last that i saw Yes, yeah, the, uh, the range yeah. is 57 to 62 right now. Right. I, it would not surprise me if they priced above that and debuted at like 80 or 90. Right. So, so, let, so let's talk through that. So, yeah, the, like we are well within the realm of possibility of, a, of an IPO price at 65, 70, and then, then an IPO open for the rest of us mm -hmm. at 80, 85. Right. That's well within the realm of possibility here. I, I would say that's pretty realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, if we start getting up towards 100, you know, which is also within the realm of possibility, mm -hmm. you know, if this does something like, you know, it remind when something gets this much, you know, the temperature gets this hot on something like this with a high flow, I start thinking of things like Snowflake, like Coinbase, um, where there might be enough momentum to push this up for 10 or 15 minutes, um, but the downside can come fast, hard and relentlessly. So it's, you know, it's pretty hard to sit out on this one and not get in on it, but I wouldn't. Oh, oh, they raised it to 72 to 74. Thank you guys. So, okay. Well, there you go. So that's, um, and I, they're going to raise, they're going to raise it again. They're going to raise they it. They are going to raise it again. So a, a debut above a hundred is not, um, is not at all without, you know, without precedent. So, yeah. uh, again, just remember that in some of the strongest, I mean, Uber had so much hype around it, but it had a huge, a huge float and it didn't do well on the ipo it pretty much oh, traded man. down from 45 to like 40 or from 44 that, to 45 that, closed at 43 and sort of slid off from there and, that, and i don't know if you remember that that day matt but that that uber i think that uber ipo it, it took like almost all day it took like yeah. i think it opened at like 132 o'clock like it took a long time to get yeah. that one open and and New york stock exchange doesn't do many big 
tech IPOs like that, but they did they did Uber, and I remember it taking a very long time. We've seen yeah, we've seen a lot of IP. I mean, generally speaking, it seems like they're getting them out the door faster, but the bigger ones are still going to go into you know the afternoon, and it seems to me that more the more demand there is, the more that they try to edge it up, edge it up, edge it up, and this will be an all day event. So, all right, I'm but. Yeah, yeah. That, oh wait, Martin says he saw his first one on the road. That's one more than I've seen, Martin. I think that, that Kramer That's mentioned cool. there's like 150 of them on the road now, or something. Oh, <laughs> Martin, you've seen one of 150. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I in, yeah, so. All right. So hands off for me. Hands off for you. But I'm here for the. I'm here for the fun. And, I don't know if I'll hands off. I I will watch right. the, the indication Fine. price and, and engage how uh, enthusiastic, you know. It seems to this me will, this price. will be the story of Wednesday. This this will be this this and CPI will be the story of Wednesday. Let's move on though because we got some others here. To, this to get will to. be the play at Wednesday. Where I will make okay. It. All right. I believe. Okay. Weave Communications. Um, this is a software as a service communication platforms for small and medium businesses. Uh, it's basically like a business management platform, uh, mostly mobile based for. Uh, kind of local local businesses that people saying gardeners and uh, dentist office things like that uh, revenue is pretty strong and but we don't I don't really know if, what to make of again six months ending June 30th compared to the six months uh, ending June 2020 you're comparing two very different market environments uh, so look at negative operating profits net net income and cash flow and I just say hmm and then the float is 5 million shares. You go, well, you know, day traders love the low float IPOs right now. So yes, they do. watch it, you know, see who's, who's talking about it. I had to step off of Cadre, uh, which was low float by the time it uh, reduced its share offering because nobody was talking about it. Uh, if nobody's talking about it, the low float turns into abysmal volume. And even though you might have, you know, you could have taken a, a small profit on it. It's not what I'm looking to trade. Uh, you'd have had to hold for two days to get, you know, a dollar upward movement. So on Weave Communications, which doesn't even seem like a particularly strong company, I've never heard of it. And I don't think a lot of other people have. So if everyone's just, you know, excited to play it, then you go, okay, well, you know, why not? Um, if nobody's talking about it, you go, well, and now, now 5 million isn't even like the low float attractive play anymore. Now the, the attractive ones are, you know, two to 3 million. So, uh, yeah. I don't know. Backblaze, this one on the surface initially sort of seemed interesting to me. It's cloud-based data storage, but digging into it a little bit further, it kind of seems more like a poor man's Dropbox. And uh, All it's right. kind of like for smaller businesses. Been around I've never even while. heard of it. I, I never heard of it. I don't know if, you, if anyone in chat has heard of this. I have not. Yeah, they kind of go after small, medium businesses. They've been around for a while. They do have positive yeah. cash flow. Uh, and you know, reasonably good net retention rate. The float's pretty low. So I don't know if they don't debut with much of a premium, maybe it, uh, you know, better chance that it goes up than down. But uh, my initial excitement over the low float being tech cloud-based data storage, once I dug into it, it just seemed more like, a, this is like a hosting company basically, uh, you know, but cloud-based. Okay. So nothing particularly exciting there. This one at least has a really cool sounding story, um, Maneric. It's space-based laser communications equipment. 
you know, I like lasers and space is cool. So, um, right on. This is, uh, this is, this is so it, they, man. Yeah. So what they do is they have basically developed technology that governments and, uh, both for governments and commercial use, uh, that handles a communication from like ground to space into satellites and then intra-satellite communication, uh, for positioning and then also apparently communication with airplanes. So as humans venture further and further from earth, we will need to communicate in ways that require, you know, stronger and stronger. This is a literal moonshot is what this is. This is a literal moonshot. Beyond moonshot. This is, uh, (laughs) for when we're traveling to Mars and, uh, and beyond. So how much, how much money, how much money they're raising here? Let's go. Uh, the raising is, I think, twenty-five million. But uh, right. okay, seventeen. Not too- it seems like it's an uplisting too, because they've already set the price at seventeen forty-eight uh, for four million shares. So right. do the math there. You've got what sixty, sixty million. It is interesting that in the S one, the CEO is going to purchase seventy-five thousand shares. I think my camera just died, so we're yeah, uh, that's all right. Going on. We're going on slideshow. No one's here to see what I look like anyway. Um, the CEO will purchase $75,000 worth of IPO shares. And you almost always just see the boilerplate text of no existing shareholders elected to purchase additional shares in the security. So that kind of stood out to me. He's, he's bullish. Um, they are negative operating income, net kind of the baseline financials are negative, uh, gross profits up 26% in the six months ending June 30th, uh, on gross margins is 173%. That number is kind of cool. But, you know, and revenue is up 406%. But when you have such a small customer base, you're talking about very lumpy, you know, lumpy contract uh, revenue. And you know, we don't know. They just didn't sign any contracts for the first yep. six months of you know, 2020. And then they signed some contracts in 2021. So, all right, Matt, Matt, we got, yeah. we got to wrap it up here. We, we're up that, against the it. clock. We're done. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we, all right. We got Hertz. We got Rivian. And oh, uh, no, we have two more quick ones. Lulu's fashion. Oh, come Max. on. They're killing me here. Blue water vaccines. Maxim group is an underwriter and 2.2 million shares in its vaccines. So all right. just watch it. Thanks, Spencer. Matt Hammond from IPO Warriors joins us every Monday. Matt, always a pleasure, man. We'll talk to you again next week. Uh, and, uh, Matt's got great info as always. So uh, that being said, though, let's bring on our next guest here. I see him lurking backstage. Uh, Tui Kordamar, she is the CEO of Procore. We're talking construction management technology. Y'all know there's some really crazy stuff going on right now in the construction space. We got supply chain chaos. We got labor uh, chaos. And uh, we got technology sort of at the nexus of that. So to our two, we can speak to that right now. So let's bring him on this show, AB. <laughs> Mr. Carter Mush, welcome to Benzinga Live. Hey, Spencer. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So uh, I guess before we start into into the real nitty gritty here, just tell us for people that don't know uh, about Procore and and what you guys do, and also by the way, congrats on the uh, the great quarter you just had. 
I appreciate it. By the way, we, I guess we're the opposite of space-based laser communication, actually. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. Much more, uh, we're much more uh, <laughs> earthbound here. No, uh, Procore is, is, a, uh, is a construction platform meant to connect everybody in construction to drive efficiencies into a highly inefficient uh, process. So we've been around for about 20 years, believe it or not. But, uh, you know, we've, uh, we've been very successful over the last few years, uh, growing our customer base and becoming a global company and solving this 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 massive inefficiency that drives into construction, and you mentioned several of them, but um, you know, there's a half a trillion dollars worth of waste that goes into construction every year just because people are not connected and working off the same set of information. So, lots of opportunity for us. I, I'm just curious how all of the macro happenings impact a company like yours. So, for example, you guys said last week that your revenue uh, for the prior quarter was up 27% year over year, up $222 million. You had a 481 net new customers. You guided revenue in the high $400 million range for, for the current quarter. I'm sorry, for the year. Um, and so how has all of these macro happenings affected your business? Yeah, it's it's really an interesting time right now, Spencer, because yes, there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of optimism when I talk to our customers about they they their future work that you know is what they call their backlog. And so just over the last year or so, these conversations have led to me understanding that our customers are seeing huge opportunities with future work. Uh, and then, you know, we just had the uh, infrastructure bill pass, you know, over the weekend. Right. Um, so then that's on top of all that. So you have all this optimism and all this work. But then the other side of the coin is massive labor shortage. You know, skilled labor shortage has been mm -hmm. affecting this industry for a long time. And it's and it's really is not getting much better. Uh, number one, and then you have these supply chain challenges. So it's a, you know, optimism on one side of the coin and a lot of um, headwinds on the other side of the coin. But ultimately, uh, this 14 trillion dollar industry has got to build all of the things that we need to live our lives. So uh, I remain super optimistic. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. I, I'm kind of surprised that, you know, in doing research, uh, you know, on Procore and reading up on over the weekend, I, I was surprised that you, you seem to reiterate this idea that the construction industry is still still behind the times, right? Still not caught up to where they should be just in terms of technology and systems that they use. Uh, why, why is that? I, I would think yeah. we're... We're 30 years into the internet, right? I, I won't mention more, but uh, you know, why, why is that the case? Well, so um, the beauty of, uh, you're right. The beauty of what you just said though is, is that construction doesn't happen inside of a, a fancy office like I'm standing right now. Construction actually right. happens outside. And you needed the internet to make it to the job site to be able to leverage all of this platform technology that's available. You know, the iPhone didn't come out till 2007. iPad didn't come out till 2011, 2012. Um, right. So really, we say the internet really made it to the job site around 2012, 2013. And so since then, it's been playing catch up. So, um, you know, we've watched the evolution of technology very much tracks all of the other adoption of this digital digital transformation that happened in every other industry. But we are just a little late to the game because we needed the technology to be ubiquitous and available, you know, in the most obscure places of work, which is construction sites. I want to read you a quote that your own CFO gave on, on, on the conference call last week, and then I, I want to ask you about it. Uh, and he said, uh, the industry disruption associated with the difficult labor market, inflation, and constrained supply chains continue to disproportionately distract the small and medium-sized business segment. The impact has been less pronounced in the mid-market and above as we continue to see stronger growth within our larger customer relationships. Uh, so what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that it's really 
you know, small, medium-sized businesses, construction companies, and et cetera, are the ones being hit the hardest here? Yeah, so I, absolutely. So the, just to kind of put a fine point on that, our largest customers uh, on in general actually increased their spend with us in Q3. So we're, we're seeing nice progression there. Uh, but when you go down market, just put yourself in their position, Spencer. Say you're a seven-person plumbing contracting company where you're, you know, you're running the company. So you're doing operations, you're doing sales, you're doing dispatch, you're doing all the things that need to happen in order for that business to become you know, effective. So you're just trying to you know, stay afloat in a, in, a, in a world where you can't get the plumbing supplies you need. You can't get the labor you need to deliver on the promises you've made to your customers. So it's, it's a, there's a lot of headwind and it really does disproportionately impact the SMB uh, just because they don't have the breadth and, uh, and depth of, uh, of, of heads in their organization in order to cover these kind of um, challenges. Who, who do you work with? Who are your customers? Uh, so great question, by the way. So this is the this is an interesting thing about Procore's, especially for people that don't follow us closely. Everyone thinks about construction as being the uh, the folks that built their house, right, or remodeled their bathroom. Well, yeah. construction is is everything. It's a fourteen trillion dollar uh, industry, and you should just look at the uh, stimulus bill or the the infrastructure bill to take to understand what it is. But it's bridges, it's ports, it's it's every you know manufacturing facility, it's distribution centers, it's it's housing, it's multifamily. It's everything, right? So, um, and it's also like industrials around, you know, uh, utility manufacturing and utility production. So we sell to owners. So think of uh, Fortune 500 companies that are building out facilities. We sell to general contractors that are actually building for those folks. And we sell to specialty contractors uh, that are, you know, doing the actual work in the field, otherwise known as subcontractors. So we sell to all three of those primary stakeholders, enterprise, mid-market, and SMB uh, globally. So it's a, uh, it, you know, it's a very large percentage of, uh, the, of the global workforce is construction, and those are our customers. From your vantage point, uh, where are we in, I don't, I don't even want to use the word recovery, because we've, mm. in a lot of cases, we've, we've recovered, uh, we've already reopened, but where are we in this cycle now, in terms of yeah. just construction activity, um, if you want, you want to even go a step further and go like um, sub- fixing the supply chains, you, I guess, where are we in, in that cycle from, from where you sit? Yeah. So again, I'll go back to the two sides of the same coin, which is there is more uh, capacity. There, there's more uh, actually you know, demand for projects to be built than ever before. That's, that's a, that's a fact. And now you throw on the infrastructure bill on top of that. So that, and that, that will come online over time. So we have all of this, um, you know, demand to have things built, but then we have these challenges. So by the way, I was flying over Long Beach recently and I actually saw those 90 container ships out there just parked. And it was weird to see physically see supply chain challenges like from the air, uh, that stuff's real. So um, I would say in general, the, the fact that there's all of this pent up demand to have things built is really, really positive. We just have to work through the supply chain challenges. And then on a labor shortage, what we have to do is we have to figure out how to enable our, the industry to do more with less. So you can't keep throwing bodies at this process because it's not a it's not an efficient way to solve the problem and there's no labor to throw at it. So that's where Procore comes in is we just make everybody more efficient and make allow them to do more with less. And then I want to ask about your your two recent acquisitions. I believe you've made sure. two acquisitions in the last, I think, two months, give or take. Yep. Um, tell us about those, why and, and what, what they're going to do. 
Yeah, so we always start with trying to solve the biggest problems in the industry. And there's the two biggest problems are, we've talked about one a lot, labor, the labor shortage. Uh, and that's where Labor Chart came in. The second challenge is uh, cash flow. Uh, and so all of the subcontractors are basically financing all the projects. So if you're remodeling your bathroom, Spencer, the, the plumber shows up with a toilet. Well, the plumber actually bought that toilet. And that toilet, you're not going to pay him for about 90 days plus for that toilet. So the subcontractors in general have cash flow problems. So what we're trying to do is get people paid faster. And that's where the level set acquisition comes in. So both the labor challenge as well as cash flow challenges, getting people paid faster are what both of those acquisitions were all about. And again, we just focus on the biggest challenges and try to drive those efficiencies into the industry. Yeah. And I, I guess as we wrap it up here, Tui, uh, what, what is the, the next big focus of yours right now what is the next catalyst or what what should we be looking forward to from a company like yours yeah so i would i would definitely um continue to watch procore expand globally we're we're a global business and uh so and there's 90 percent of the of the 14 tr trillion dollar tam is outside of the u.s so i would i would watch that we've been very successful quarter over quarter growing our international business i would also look to procore to be more of a data company so we're going to be able to take this you know, five or six petabytes of data that we have in our system and allow our customers to run better businesses because we can actually use that data to inform them on how to grow their businesses. So a lot of opportunity ahead of us to, you know, achieve our mission to connect everyone uh, on a global platform. And, and if you, the more you know about construction, the more you'll realize how disconnected it is. And so as we become more successful of connecting folks, we will drive those efficiencies into the market and allow our customers to run better businesses. I actually have one more for you here because you mentioned before uh, that your largest customers had been increasing your spend and, 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 and your smallers uh, had not. Do you expect that trend to continue to the, for the largers to, to continue to increase your spending and, and to this, the SMBs to maybe struggle? How, how, how long do you see that trend playing out for? I actually think it's a, a very long-term trend. Now, the larger customers have already invested in, in solutions like Procore that allow them to do more with less. So that's actually creating a flywheel effect. So they can take on more jobs and do, do more than they previously could without Procore. The SMB is going to take some time because we got to work through these supply chain challenges. But once those supply chain challenges work themselves out, we believe that you know the biggest challenge ahead of them will be this labor shortage. But again, adopting technology like Procore is going to allow them to do more with less. So I feel like once they come out, we come out of the supply chain challenge, the adoption of Procore and a platform like Procore is going to enable them to grow their businesses and therefore solve for that challenge as well. Do you, so you see this as a hedge against the labor shortage? Is that what? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, uh, in fact, that the acquisition we did with Labor Chart enables our customers to do more with the labor they have and be less wasteful, so they can actually take on more work and run better businesses. So, absolutely, it's a tremendous edge. All right, Tui Cordomar, she's the CEO of Procore, ticker PCOR. Tui, a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, good luck, and we'll have to have you back as this situation develops. I look forward to it, Spencer. I'm, I'm right. available for you whenever. Thanks, man. All right, I will be calling him at 3 a.m. and see if he answers his phone. <laughs> there you go. You know you can always call me, Spencer. You don't answer your phone. I know, but you can still call it. Uh, it that's works. True. That's true. I can. Okay. Hey, uh, before we bring on our next guest here, let's do a quick crypto update. AB, can you bring up our our heat map, please? Yes, sir. I can. And because we were looking this morning, and I, and I, I, I came in, and I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to be an amazing day. Because I just saw Bitcoin. I saw Ethereum. Bitcoin was at sixty six. Ethereum was at like forty seven. Where are we now? 
Um, I believe <laughs> nothing has changed. All right. Well, I believe this heat map is a little bit delayed. Wait, can we refresh it though? Because I, 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 no, um... no, no. I mean, it, it's it's refreshed. Okay. I'm just saying. I think there's a, a delay on the price quotes on this page. Oh, okay. So let, well, let's check real quick. So this says this says that Bitcoin is essentially at 66 flat. I, I don't think there was a delay. I think I, it it was at 66 and then it went down and I think now it's back. Corroborate that for me. Yeah, I mean, so according to Google Finance, uh, Finance. it's got it's 66. I got 66,060. Uh, the heat map showing 66,007. So uh, I don't know. Tomato, I mean, tomato, potato, potato. It's right, it's right there. Either way, strong day in the crypto markets all across the board. A lot of, well, not all across the board. We got Sheeb, which is slightly in the red, but at least holding its ground. Uh, we saw a couple days last week where Shiba Inu really dropped a significant amount. So seeing it hold its ground there is encouraging. Uh, Cardano up about 4.5%. Dogecoin 4.5% as well. Ethereum. Ethereum, I mean, I, I think this $5,000 level will be... Dude, we, uh, we all just need to, I think, buy some more Ethereum, I think is what's happening here. Buy high. I am... I'm so beyond the point of caring about, oh, it's, I'm chasing it up this year. I'm so beyond the point of that. I, I, I think we need to just close her. I, that's what I told Mitch this morning. You, you have to just close your eyes. Close your eyes and hit the buy button is how I'm feeling right now about everything. Not just crypto, but everything. There you hear. You heard it first. Just, just close, close your, eyes your eyes and hit buy. It doesn't matter what, it, what it's on, what equity, what asset, what stock, what no, crypto. Do, do it for Hertz. No, don't, don't, don't do it for Hertz. But as a reminder, you can get some free Bitcoin. All you have to do is download the Voyager app, enter the promo code Zing, Z-I-N-G, fund your account with 100 bucks to make your first trade, and they'll give you $50 in BTC right then and there. Let's see what our next guest thinks about my close your eyes and buy strategy. Let's bring him on. Let's bring him on. Jake Wajastic from Trendspotter. Here he is. Where is he? Hey, <laughs> Jake, what's up? What a strategy that is. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is the part where Jake says, I, I can't really condone that. He's going to give us some more, I don't know, technically sound advice. Uh, that may be true. Hey, That's know, what we... I, I know a lot of people who have uh, pulled that type of strategy out of their pocket and made good money. So, you know, to each, <laughs> to each their own. Let's, no, because every time I think, every time I think a stock is like, come to like doing something dumb and come too far it just keeps on going so it's like i don't I mean, know man if you're if you're looking at bitcoin right now you know if we if we can close above this uh previous all-time high uh my next target is about 87k on bitcoin so um you don't really have any price action to look at to the left anymore uh since we're at all-time mm -hmm. highs so you know this is when you got to pull out the fibonacci extensions and the most relevant recent Measured move is this move from April, the previous all-time highs, to the July low. So, I mean, I I get it. You know, I, I could definitely see it uh, making a 2017 type of move into December. Uh, we'll just have to see. But, yeah, I'm, I'm very bullish on crypto right now. And uh, Ethereum, too, same thing. And a really good case study on Ethereum using the raindrop chart on the weekly candle over the last few days. So... Uh, you know, you, we finally saw this breakout here through this ascending triangle resistance and notice what we had. We had quite a bit of volume actually above this previous high. So what that tells me is that for anyone that was selling Ethereum and, and dropping uh, supply onto the market, there was somebody there willing to buy those shares at the high of the week, which is 
a lot of the time very bullish. So uh, not shocked at all to see Ethereum uh, making moves already into the beginning of the week. And yeah, I could see Ethereum easily going to 6K with this Fibonacci extension above right around 6,032 or something. Not going to talk right to the dollar. I'd say anywhere from around 5,900 to around 6,100 is my target above. 59 to 61. All right. Okay. We're with you. So we, we got 80 what again on Bitcoin? 87. 83? 87. 87 on Bitcoin. Okay. All right. Nice, oh, nice, nice. It's, it's not looking, it's not looking bearish. Hitting all-time highs is generally not a bearish thing. So um, yeah, the, the thing is crypto is really just fueling this risk on sentiment in the markets. You know, seeing crypto really move into uh, last night before the markets opened. The fact that we were breaking to uh, pretty much all-time highs or right below them, or at least for Bitcoin, was telling me that risk on is definitely the uh, vibe that we're getting in the market right now. And it's really interesting with this uh, infrastructure bill. You didn't see the markets really responding, but you saw these individual names responding. And that's exactly kind of what I was anticipating. You know, you've got this money flowing into individual names. The markets are a little overbought right now, uh, especially if you look at some of the Fibonacci extensions. You know, if you're not a believer in fib levels or extensions, just look at this daily chart on SPY and notice where we've had trouble getting through uh, two days in a row now after this huge move up, this 1.618 extension right above. Uh, and once again, it didn't hit the exact level. You want to look at these zones and notice that we had this uh, orange zone highlighted around the actual fib level. And so that's how you want to use these levels. You're never going to you know, hit it right on the money. It's going to be a, a zone. So SPY, eh, doing its thing. Qs, same thing. Um, they're really not moving at all because all that money is really flowing into, into some of these, uh, these individual names that are, uh, are really looking good from, from the infrastructure news. Blink. Yeah, it's, fl- it's, flow- it, it's flowing into solar. It's flowing into EV. It's flowing into... Heck, even cannabis is having a good day, as the chef's talking about, right? It's flowing it into steel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you got some rotation. You got some massive rotation going on, and and that's uh, yeah, that's what makes the market. Um, so so on the Q side of things, you know, I I think we sh- I think we should pull back. I mean, it would only be healthy at this point if we pull back, maybe you know, all the way down to around three ninety. Uh, you yeah, that would be healthy. But if you look at the measured move from the previous time we broke out of all time highs back in uh, June, we did have some pullbacks. I mean, look at this. We had a couple of times where we had some decent pullbacks, but what happened? We kept hitting higher lows and we kept moving up for some time. So if we want to take that measured move and apply it to this most recent move that looks very similar, uh, you know, that would put us in the 420s by, uh, by mid-January on the queues. So it's really hard for me to be bearish right now. We're entering a pretty strong seasonal time of the year as well, especially for IWM uh, some crypto names, Ethereum, especially has a really high win rate for December. So, so it's, you know, it, to me, it's really hard to not agree with your close your eyes and buy whatever and look at it in a couple months. That's not advice, but I do get the sentiment on, you know, why that's the case. Uh, the EV names are interesting. You've got a lot of these, uh, electric vehicle powering type of, uh, plays moving blink, uh, this is one that I've really been uh, keeping an eye on since the 2850 area or so. And we finally got just an absolute rip today. So congrats to those that were in this one. Uh, I don't think I'll be selling this anytime soon. Um, you know, if you look at the long-term chart here, 
I could easily see this uh, hitting all-time highs and the all-time highs are up here in the 60s. So if anything, I'll probably just be adding dips, uh, especially with this type of monthly breakout. I mean, this is this is just incredibly strong. Uh, we are, and the thing is, we're just breaking out. It looks like you know, blank is up a ton at 21% for the day, but we are just starting to break out here on the monthly chart. So I think I think this is probably going to go um, to the 60s plus within the next couple months, simply due to the fact that these names are getting hot again, and it's looking a lot like uh, like November 2020 and December of 2020. There you go. Yeah, uh, Jake, I've got a couple, you know, charts I've been watching today. Um, I, you know, I know you've got some of your own as well, but I was wondering, can we pull up run sun runs chart real quick? Mm -hmm. So sun run, I'm not familiar with this one, but I, I think I've heard the ticker once or twice, but same thing. I mean, you know, we're, we're just starting to break out here. Uh, the government the government makes the market. If they come out with uh, you know policies that that support a specific type of industry, then you know they're the ones making the market. So it's it's pretty obvious that these types of uh, plays, anything electric or clean energy, is is really probably going to take the stage for for more than just today. Uh, I can see this being a longer term uh, cycle uh, move rotation into into these names into EVs. Marijuana. I mean, marijuana is definitely getting hot. I've just been, I just keep adding, I was adding the dip like the last two months and people are wondering, you know, why are you, why are you buying this going down? Well, I don't know because that's just what weed stocks do until they don't. So um, all these names are looking very strong into the end of the year into January as well. Got it. Um, another one that I know we've looked at together that I'm watching right now is Penn. Penn. Um, obviously, Penn had some news oh, last week, um, but it, it's at a point right now. And I'm looking at just like the daily chart uh, on some five minute candles on my screen. And it's looking like it's either at this point where it's going to reverse or drop lower. Either way, it could be setting up for a trade. Yeah. So Penn is uh, Penn's an interesting one. You know, you had the, the earnings, but then you also had the uh, you also had the weird news about Dave Portnoy uh, last week, which definitely did not help the stock. For me personally, and this is just kind of the way you know I, I look at candlestick price action, I do not like any time that you're trading within a previous wick. So for example, here, you can see that we're kind of trading in last week's wick. Uh, so for me, I, I wouldn't even really, for I'm kind of over gambling stocks for now because there's so many different competitors entering the market. It's really hard for any of these companies to really get any type of competitive advantage just because there's so many companies entering the market. So it's it's one of those names that I, I did play back in uh, August and, and it was uh, it was a pretty good run there for for a couple weeks. But I just never like to see and the same thing with the upside. If you if you gap up into the upside uh, into a wick, that's always a pretty strong uh, signal. So GE is a good example of that last week. But I would need to see how this weekly candle closes before I even really take a look. But your your COVID low anchored volume weighted average price, uh, pretty much we're just measuring the volume by um, volume weighted average price from the COVID reset in the markets. And that's down here around 54.50 to 55. So if I were to take a wild guess, I'd probably say that's where it's going short term. But um, but we'll just have to see. Um, I, I do know, though, that over you know the last few weeks, uh, these names have not been doing incredibly well, 
And you generally want to, you know, look at the names that are moving with the market and showing strength. So uh, we'll have to see what happens. You've pretty much got two inside days here from this huge candle down. But if I were to, if I were to guess where this is going, I'd say mid fifties. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was looking at the chart, I was like, okay, this is either going to bounce off here and, and start coming back up or, uh, if we if we lose this kind of spot where we're at right now, and again I'm looking at the daily chart, so a little bit different than it looks like. I think that mid fifties call could be right. So when I said it, it could be set up for a trade either way. You yeah, know, but- definitely on the short side um, is a possibility there. Uh, so Jake, what what else are you watching today? Anything else on on your radar? Oh, for sure. So one thing I would mention, if you look at the pin um, on the sixty five minute chart, uh, this November fourth capitulation candle. You are tr- you are pretty much trying to hold this anchored volume weighted average price from that candle. So, uh, you know, this this could have some decent risk reward here, at least for maybe a day trade or something. Uh, so so it, it is holding the levels that it needs to. Uh, I will have to say I am someone who will literally watch a stock for weeks or months before I enter it. And MU is the stock of the uh, the the day, if you want to call it that for me. Uh, GE was last week. We did get a nice bounce in GE. We'll go over that one in a second. I don't think it's done, but it's also not moving like a lot of people thought. Uh, it was a little worrisome to see how many people got bullish on GE over the weekend. Uh, that that was a little bit of a red flag for me, kind of uh, you know, too many people anticipating a move. But all in all, MU is, is the main thing that I'm watching right now. I'll give my thesis on why. So here, if you look at the MACD, and I'm sure you're not going to see a lot of people draw uh, any type of trend lines on the MACD like this, but it's really interesting to see. One, we're breaking out of this long-term resistance. So it, even though it looks like MU's had some really strong days, we're just starting to break out now. So you know, I'm thinking if we were to take a, a wild guess where this lands, I'm thinking around 80 bucks, and I'll share that thesis here in a second. But uh, on the MACD, I mean, look at this. this is, you've got these lower highs on the MACD for how long now? We're finally breaking out of it um, this week in the last, honestly, the last few days. So MU, I mean, look at AMD, look at NVIDIA. These names have moved huge. And this is definitely a laggard. I've, I've traded MU in the past, and it's, it's really been a good one to trade. Now, uh, the reason I have a, an $80, $80 uh, price target, short term at least, is you'll see here that we have the volume weighted average price uh, right around 78.30 or so. But notice here as well, if you look at this wick um, here, so this was from uh, June, you've got this wick that actually did bounce above the anchored view app a little bit. So I want to take, I want to use that wick as a little bit of flexibility above the anchored view app. So as I mentioned, I'm not looking at anything that's an exact price level, but what I'll do is, I'll add another VWAP offset. So what I'm doing is I'm actually adding another VWAP X percent above. Now, I'm not sure what that is. Let's just take a random guess here. Uh, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to take into account this wick right here to, to include that in the anchor VWAP. So the anchor VWAP is around 84. This moved up to around 85. I don't know. Let's give it like a 2% offset to the upside. And you'll see here that by doing that, we now have more of a zone. So you can see here, it would maybe even 1.5 would do uh, to, because you can see that that wick is a little, a little uh, lower. So yeah, perfect. Now we've got this wick 
that is is also being included in that anchored VWAP zone. So now, you know, my target becomes pretty much this general area. So around 7820 to right around 7950 or so. And so that that is my target above for MU. You can see here on the weekly chart, the MACD is just starting to cross. Uh, and then if you look at the longer term uh, chart here, we're looking at the weekly chart right now. You know, this thing has a history of absolutely just melting up when it finally goes. So if you want to just take the measured move of this previous breakout and apply it to this big move that we had about two months later, uh, you know, you could you could probably anticipate anywhere from a 40 to 50 percent move in MU in the next two months just based on this measured move. Wow. That's a big that, that's a big move for a micron. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of people hate the stock because it hasn't been moving as well as AMD or NVIDIA. That's the exact time that I want to buy something is when everybody hates it. Uh, so MU is one that I did enter calls this morning pretty much right Ooh. off the bat. Um, and one thing that's really interesting is if you are trading options or even if you're not trading options, um, look at the options chain. This is like the biggest way to get an idea if the market is looking for a move. So uh, BLNK is the first example. BLNK, I started buying the $35 calls for January about three weeks ago. And you could, you could tell that the premiums were getting more expensive even when the price was dropping. So I initially bought the BLNK calls around $28.75, the spot price. That's just the common stock price. Uh, and I bought those calls around $1.26 per contract. What happens? The next day, it goes to $30. And those contracts went to around $1.60. And then two or three days go by. We drop all the way down to $27.75 or so. And then once we, once we moved back up to $30, about two or three days later, the contracts, the same spot price, right? Before the, the contracts were trading at $160 when the, when the price was $30, then as time was going by, so generally, you know, theta should be kicking in a little bit. Those same contracts at $30 spot price were trading at $2 a contract. So anytime you see the premiums holding their value or even gaining value while the price is dropping, then getting back to that same common stock price, that's always a big, that's always a big uh, kind of warning sign that this is probably going to make a big move. MU, same thing. I started buying calls this morning for the uh, January uh, 21st, $80, $80 calls. And I was getting outbid almost every time I put an order in. I mean, I, and I was putting it at the ask almost, and I was still getting outbid. And that was around $2 and uh, let me make sure that's, uh, I think it was- $2. No, sorry, $3. Well, so the contracts, the contracts, uh, the January yeah. $80 contracts were- Dude, that that seems that seems high to me, but it's not. I guess no. all right. I don't know what they're at now, but I think I was. Yeah, I started bidding on them around like two dollars and twenty five cents, two thirty. I could be wrong. I have to look at my orders. But anyways, I kept putting in orders, and they kept getting outbid. And so I was like, okay, this is weird. The price is dropping, but oh, okay, it was two thirty two, two thirty four was the first uh, was the first purchase I made on the contracts, and I had I was I just kept adding them because. It was breaking out. I think those contracts have to be over three bucks now. So what, um, what, what strike were you looking at? Eighty dollar calls for January. Three ten right now. I'm seeing. Um, so are, are you just buying straight calls? Uh, are you doing like any spreads or anything like that? 
now just trading the premium. So I'm instead of instead of buying the common stock, I'd rather just uh, you know buy the premiums at a longer out date. And I saw a lot of people buying the you know the November 26th calls or even you know even earlier than that. So generally, when we have an impulse move like this, almost three percent move on MU, that's when you kind of want to take the uh, take the profit on those shorter term calls because what if MU pulls back two percent tomorrow? Those calls are going to get destroyed, but the longer term calls like the January calls, I'm happy swinging those because I have time built into the premiums. Uh, so I did mention, hey, if you're up and you don't have those that long term contracts, maybe maybe you take your profit. But for me, I'm definitely holding them. My target is at seventy nine to eighty dollar area above. If we get a really strong impulse move tomorrow, another two to three percent, I'll probably take some off the table because. I went in pretty heavy, so it's it's been a pretty good trade so far. And you know, you you want to lock in those profits. So, what I would look for is maybe a a two week move up like we had here, maybe a pullback to retest the resistance, and then a very strong move into the rest of the year. So, um, MU definitely keep it on your radar. MACD is just starting to cross here on the uh, weekly chart. We're breaking out of this really really long term kind of just uh, slow grind down. So all in all, uh, it's it's hard for me not to be very bullish on ME right now. And this is one I've been watching for a couple of weeks, and I finally kind of decided uh, today was the time to get in. And and so far, so good. So we'll see how, what happens the rest of the uh, the week into next week. But GE is another one. I mean, if you look at GE, we mentioned this last week as kind of a potential trade idea. And this is kind of that same exact thing I was talking about with MU, right? So notice what we had. We had, or not MU, uh, Penn. We had the opposite happen, right? We we opened up in this previous week's wick. We pulled back and kind of retested where it closed at the week before, but then we pretty much moved up to the top of that wick. So it's the exact opposite of what we went over with PIN, where you know I think PIN's probably going to retest that wick below from last week at least, and then maybe reverse from there. But GE is one that we did try to break out this morning. I think we hit a high of like 110.25 or something. But all in all, not great price action. You've got a lot of people chasing the EV charger names and the EV names. Um, so uh, doing kind of what it does, uh, not not moving great. This is when I took quite a bit of profit on last Friday on that Pfizer news. But I still do have a pretty large position for January, uh, the 115 calls. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably look at maybe uh, stopping out on my profit if we break below 108 or so. Um, but I, I do think we're probably going to make a pretty big move on this one uh, once things finally start to get going and the market digests some of that supply that came on the market today. Got it. Um, so, so, Jake, I mean, I, I, I follow you on Twitter. I'm sure a lot of our audience does as well. It seems like a lot of charts that you're looking at, you like finding those like descending triangle patterns. Is that just something that you found over time being um, like a good indicator for a breakout? Yep. Yep. Because, you know, the, the ascending triangle essentially shows you've got higher lows. So the market is pretty much, you know, ha has participants coming in and buying those those lows at a higher level. So the price is slowly starting to move up. And then you've got this previous area where the price has just had uh, trouble getting through now for like two or three months. So as we get back up to this level, that's that's kind of what I look for for a breakout. Crypto does this all the time. Crypto's got some great breakouts using an ascending triangle. We just saw it on Ethereum um, when we were looking at the uh, the weekly chart. 
So, so yeah, these are definitely things I look for, but I also look for the falling wedge uh, set, uh, setups too. So MU, we've got a falling wedge uh, set up here. And, uh, you know, generally you'll, you'll have breakout buyers come in and that's what kind of helps this become a self-fulfilling prophecy because you've got these new participants coming in the market as everybody sees this falling wedge breakout take place. So um, ascending triangles and falling wedge breakouts are what I like to see. However, I would prefer to see a falling wedge that has higher lows, right? So like here, you've got this falling wedge, but you've got these higher lows over the last two years. If you go look at something like Tilray, which I am bullish on, but my, my point is, is like, I, I guess it depends on what time frame you're looking at, because you do have this falling wedge here and you do have these higher lows uh, pretty much from, uh, from this uh, 2020 low, but you'll see here, same thing. I mean, you've got the falling wedge, you, you've got a lot of momentum kicking in for these weed names. And yeah, that's, that's how I simply draw uh, one of these charts. I'm just connecting the wick to wick. And then I'm kind of just pulling it up to include some of this other price action that didn't test the exact wick to wick trend line below. Got it. And then, and then another quick question. So our, our next guest, Chris Capri, he likes to uh, look at the option flow as well. And I couldn't agree more that it's just a, a great way to, um, you know, get some extra insight into the sentiment of certain stocks and market overall, um, where moves can be expected. Where do you, where do you go for that, uh, option flow? I do not use it at all. Um, oh, you don't? And, no. And, and nothing wrong with it. You know, everyone's got their own way of looking at the markets. I personally just have a problem with options flow because you don't know, you know, what's on the other side of that trade. You know, for example, what if somebody, what if somebody's selling covered calls and making it look like it was just a big order? They may have a billion dollar position. And so a $500,000 uh, call purchase or sell. And a lot of the time it's kind of hard. You can use like, okay, was it at the ask? Was it at the bid to kind of decipher, you know, what side of the trade it was on. But for me, I've just, I've been burned uh, a couple times using options flow. Um, but, you know, there's also been times where it's worked. So it's one of those things that I just have never really used in the past. And so it, it's just not something that really uh, changes anything for me. For example, like I'd much rather look at the charts I'd rather look at the options premiums. Are the options premiums gaining gaining value, even though the price isn't moving much? Uh, and then I'm really looking at rotation. You know, okay, this this sector has gone up a lot. Where's money likely rotating into? Um, but but I mean, I, a lot of people use options flow now, and I think it's uh, you know I think it's worth noting when you have options flow over. Honestly, like over one or two million because well, i see well, a lot of what were you saying you saw in the in micron beforehand didn't you say you saw like a lot of uh calls coming or is that just because you were saying you were getting outbid then you knew there were a lot of I, calls coming in yeah, yeah i was getting outbid on the calls so every time i put in an order near the ask the ask would rate get you know rise and so it's like holy crap somebody's definitely wants these calls i wasn't necessarily looking at the volume. I was looking at the volume a little bit, um, you know, within 30 minutes of the open, those calls already had like a thousand volume. So there was definitely interest in it. It wasn't, I just wasn't looking at like an actual order. I was overall looking more at the sentiment of the volume on the chain. Like, okay, the calls have like are outpacing the put volume by like 10 X. You know, so um, I do look at those types of metrics. I'm just not necessarily looking at like sweeps that are worth 50 grand. 
Uh, that, that that's something that drives me crazy. Um, I I'm all about I'm all about flow and people using it. I've seen a lot of people use it and make good money. But one thing is really tough for me to you know see is people who are posting you know oh man look at all this flow and it's just like it's like twenty thousand dollar orders on the chain. You know there's some you don't even have to be a huge retail trader to show up on an on an options flow um, tool. So I'm really looking at like, okay, if somebody's buying $2 million worth of uh, a two week, three week out expiration, then it's like, okay, that's interesting because a lot of the time I think these guys will just front run their orders. So let's say that you, you know, you're about to buy a ton of common stock. Well, why not buy the calls before you start loading up on the common stock? You already know you're going to move the price up and you're going to kind of get screwed on, on moving the price up from how aggressive you're being. So you might as well front run your own self by buying the calls because you know you're about to buy a ton and move the price up. So you're almost hedging against you know uh, what you're what you're getting filled at. So that's always interesting to see those types of orders uh, for sure. Got it. Yeah, and just because we were talking about it a minute ago, I I was watching Penn. It looks like we did break those levels we were holding earlier, and it moved down pretty quickly. I don't know if we had news or or something, but just moved down. Yeah. Yeah. That one's, I mean, that one's hard just because, you know, you, you've got all of these infrastructure name plays. So it may not even be that there's really heavy selling going on in pen. You just may you may not have any buying interest because everybody's trading F cell and VLNK and, and all these other names that are, are really catching a bid today. So we may not necessarily be moving because sellers are driving the price down. We may just be moving because, you know, all that interest is in, in the EV plays at, at the moment today. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Like you said, the, the market's all about, uh, you know, just, just inflows and outflows, the cycles. So right now we're in that moment where everyone is looking at those EV stocks and, and other companies that may get a boost, um, from the bill. So maybe just right now that the gambling stocks are on the back burner for a lot of investors. Um, real quick, I, I missed this earlier, but we did get a super chat for Aspen ticker ASPN. So um, yes. we got we got like about one minute left. So we'll do the quick, quick, quick breakdown on this one. Aspen, I have no idea what they do, but they're clearly in a pretty strong uptrend. Uh, so for me, you know, the first thing I would do is just pretty much start uh, my trend zone here. And I would probably ignore this wick just because it, it was probably just some illiquid move. Um, but here, I mean, this is kind of the the trend line that I would draw. Um, so like here, you've got a ton of different data points on this trend line. So if this thing continued to move up, you know, this may get to the 61, 62 area before any type of meaningful pullback. You've got a recent breakout here, kind of this bull flag so you've got, you know, just these two descending trend lines that we broke out of. So, yeah, it's looking very strong. You you know, if you're getting higher highs and higher lows, that's not a bearish uh, bearish thing. Got it. Oh, and it looks like someone shared in the chat, so I don't know if this is true or not. It looks like there was news actually that came out on Penn um, that the Barstool Group will be excluded from competition for New York betting uh, from the New York Post. So I'll, I'll get that story pulled up in a second. But, Jake, uh, wh- where can folks find more from you? Yeah, trendspider.com if you guys want to check out the actual platform. So I'm using Trendspider for all of these charts. Um, Now, if you want to look at some of the content that I put out and some of the, I I like to do trade ideas because at the end of the day, I'm posting 20 plus charts a day. There's no way 
I am able to enter all of those trades. It's just not efficient. So um, I, I like to post trade ideas so people can take those charts and make them their own. Uh, I really don't like posting any type of uh, particular options calls. Like, so for example, today I didn't post my MU trade publicly because I don't want people blindly following me. I want people to look at the chart that I post and come up with their own thesis and make the trade their own. And that's, you know, you'll, you'll feel a lot better about your trade if you decide the, the contract, the expiration, the strike, all of that on your own, rather than just blindly following somebody on the internet. So I like to kind of help people become fishermen rather than just, you know, trying to catch fish for people. So um, my, my Twitter handle is trendspider underscore J, lots of trade ideas, lots of educational posts that I put out. And um, if you want to check out just uh, the actual platform, trendspider.com is where you can learn more about that. And we have a ton of YouTube videos as well. Just uh, trendspider is the, uh, the name on YouTube as well. Beautiful. All right, Jake. Well, thank you for joining us today. We will have you on every Monday at 1 p.m. Uh, just going over charts. And, and, and if, you, if you have charts that you want Jake to take a look at, just tweet at him. Maybe he'll have time. Um, who knows? Jake, again, thank you. Hey, thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. Sounds good. All right, y'all. That was Jake from TrendSpider. Like he said, the, the Twitter handle is TrendSpider underscore J. You can also go to TrendSpider.com. Um, to check out the platform. We've got another guest that's uh, also, you know, on the technical side. So we're just ripping through this whole hour uh, from 1 to 2 Eastern doing technicals. Without further ado, let's go ahead and bring Chris Capri on. Chris, how you doing? I like the new intro. That's great. You like that? yeah it's got some verve to it only the best for our you know for our wonderful guests such as yourself yes as the late neil said <laughs> yep did you have a good weekend i did actually yeah got to do some hiking in the Tao mountains so it's uh catching some late fall sun right now so try and take advantage of it before the snow hits beautiful yeah you gotta you gotta get that in now before uh before it's too late mm-hmm. so mr capri what is on your watch list for today all right, so let me share screen here. And we will take a look at the uh, MU that um, Jake was talking about. You know, one of the things Jake was mentioning is that he's saying, you know, you have a hard time, like if you see, you know, 500,000 or a million come in on a particular call or something like that, you don't know if their calls being sold or bought. And that's true, but you can also, there are tools that can help you find out whether those deltas are increasing or not. And so if it's long options, then the deltas are going to increase. And if the deltas are decreasing, then they're selling those options. So it's important we understand that. I just see that flicker in there. Oh, that was interesting. I, I saw that too. I was like, I, yeah. I can't deal with that. All right, looks like we're fixed now. All right, once I move the mouse over, it seems like it's all good. So, Okay, so yeah, there are ways to understand order flows. It just takes a little bit of time to understand dealer gamma and things like that and hedging requirements. But with that being said, hard not to talk about AMD today. Very strong. Order. We're going to take a look at Trade Desk and AMD. So AMD had their, had a just a slew of positive you know catalyst coming out and if you look at the uh if you look at the benzinga app you know you can see a, a just a host of them here so first off um meta's facebook is going to use an chips in their data center which they're going to need a lot more data centers for what they're looking to do microsoft is going to use the amd milan chips in azure amd during their online event had talked about their uh, coming out with a new gpu for ai processing 
Um, there's just a lot of news catalysts out here. And the result is pretty clear. You know, it's 108 million shares on the day. It's 10-day average was 66 million. Prior to today, the 10-day average was 45 million. So the volume of shares traded today alone has pulled the 10-day average up significantly. And when you see that the volumes of shares traded is well above the 10-day average, that means a lot of eyes are on this stock, not just retail, but institutional as well. So you, know, you can see looking at the five-minute chart below, very strong rip on the open, very strong volume. And then a big surge once we had, let me get up my trusty pen. You could see it right there. Big surge of volume here. And the volume kind of architecture or structure has been mostly higher like this right here at the very end now. And now later in the session is where it was before. So this really raised that kind of volume architecture, suggesting there was a huge surge into this. And the stock has ripped up. You know, it's almost 10% up on the day. So very strong move on the day. Huge amount of volume shares. And the options flows are absolutely gangster. So prior to today, prior to today, AMD had about 1.6 million calls, 1.47 million puts. Today alone has traded 1.55 million options. And about four, three out of every four options are calls. So positive news catalyst, boatload more calls than puts. Uh, it's just, you know, you're talking half of the entire options in the universe were added today alone. That's insane amount. That's like not common at all to have 50% of the total options in the universe increased in one day. So there's an aggressive amount of option traders looking at AMD. Let me pull this chart down here so you can kind of take a look at the chain here and things. Okay. So uh, what do we see in AMD? So here you are. Here's your 1.2 million calls, 345,000 puts. When we look at the short dated, you can see that there is, you know, is that 240,000 of this 1.5 million calls. So that is one six. This was roughly 15, 18% of the total options are traded at these two strikes by volume, the 150 and 155. So we can kind of tell that that is kind of where it's going to pin for the day. Anytime you see an exorbitant amount of volume concentrated at one or two strikes, that usually becomes the pin. There's just so much liquidity pulling it into that area that you're going to see a lot of the price action kind of just hover right around that. And where have we been, you know, for the last, after this rip here, and we've consolidated between 148 and 153. So we're cycling right around that you know, kind of 150, 155 area. So that's the first thing I like to note. The second thing is you can see that there is a decent amount of volume here, 80,000 calls at the 160. And it looks, you know, it trails off by half as you start getting 165, 170. And then there's still a decent amount of 180. So you look at that and you say, okay, there's not as much fuel to get beyond 155 on the day. But there is still some fuel trying to pull it higher. And it could try and start dragging AMD higher into that. So Ivy's pretty, pretty elevated right now. I think this turns into a multi-day runner for the week. Today's Monday. We have a large amount of calls being traded on a Monday on a positive news catalyst. Theta decay is going to be very small. You know, it's decent. I mean, 58 cents, 63 cents. But we're not talking like two bucks, you know, three bucks, four bucks or something like that. So 
I'm looking at it like if you're long the 150s, you know, you're you're going to lose maybe 10% of your total total premium in theta. If this could run up to 155, it's not a big deal. So I'm looking at this as I think AMD is going to be supported today, tomorrow, maybe Wednesday. And then we're going to start to see, at least for this week, a lot of these short dated options start getting monetized. That will start to, you know, kind of put a, a headwind into the stock as people start taking profit from their long calls. If we can't get past 155 strike, then traders are just going to say, I'm done. Close up my calls. That's it. Don't want them to decay anymore. Let's do that. That takes away the bullish call fuel out of the market. And then probably Thursday or Friday, you should start to see AMD kind of topple off and start to pull back a little bit. But is that all the fuel that AMD has? Is it just this week and done? Well, when you start looking at the longer dated options, you're seeing some really good volumes, 140. And again, top strike for the next week's options, the monthly OPEX is again, 150. And you're still seeing some decent option between 155 and 165. There's even some options going all the way out to 200. So you look at that, go a little bit further out. And again, you're seeing a large cluster of options by volume at the 150, 155 strike, December and January. So traders are basically saying, look, we don't think this is a one and done. We don't think it's just rising up to 150. And then this is going to collapse all the way back down from where it came from, the low 140s per se, or even lower. They feel like option traders are saying, hey, look, we feel that 150 is now going to kind of be a pin across several months, looking a few months out. That's why you're seeing not just short dated interest or not just next week's, next week's interest, but you're seeing December and January expiry. That tells me option traders are raising their levels up. And over time, this will continue to fill those calls higher and higher up. So when you look at that, it's hard not to like you know the current levels. I personally will wait for a little bit of a dip in AMD, and then I'll look to get long. If AMD wants to give me a dip to say... The monthly view up around 136, 140. I'll gladly take that. I will gladly take that. My one concern, and this is the one concern about AMD, is that the stock has appreciated 50% in the last six weeks. And there has been an exceptional amount of options, a lot of call buying over the last several weeks, like 25 billion in notional just in call buying, which is just an insane amount. And it's concentrating in like Tesla, AMD, and NVIDIA. I think there might be a little bit of a pullback because of that. I think this speculation, this leverage starts to kind of reach a little bit kind of too high a pricing. We get a little bit of a pullback. And I think that will probably happen after the November monthly OPEX. Pulls back a little bit and then it'll give us a nice pullback opportunity to try and target 150 or higher on that. Maybe AMD tries to reach 160, 165 over, you know, November, December expiries. So for me, I'm going to wait. I may trade it short term this week if I can get a little bit of a pullback. If not, I'll wait to the November OPEX, let all these calls kind of cycle out of the market, get monetized, pull back a little bit, and then look to get long for at least the December or January expiries. So that's what I'm looking at in AMD. Got it. Yeah, I mean, all the all these recent movements in like the semiconductor stocks have just been insane. Whether you're looking at Nvidia, AMD, we we were talking about Micron earlier. So definitely got to keep your eye on these. 
Yeah, there it's it's you know these three names are attracting all the attention right now, and it, you know any sort of like semiconductor chip type makers they're attracting a lot of attention as a whole. When I look at the flows, it seems like it's a combination of you know single you know like contract options, which is retail traders, but you are seeing some institutions get involved in this as well. There's just a lot of speculation going on right now. You know, and you're seeing all these names kind of fuel together, Tesla, AMD, NVIDIA. They're all kind of being fueled right at the same time. There's just a lot of speculation. And I honestly think that part of it has to do with Jay Powell and the Fed, their last FOMC, they kind of gave the all clear. The markets were already had built a base after that pullback and it started to rally. And I felt like markets are saying, okay, we're probably good for the rest of the year. Let's get long for the rest of the year. That's what I'm seeing happen. But a lot of these flows are short dated. A lot of them are kind of coming in on Mondays, expiring the end of the week, and then resetting the next Mondays. That's why you're seeing Mondays tend to be very strong days for a lot of these stocks. Interesting. I did not know that, that Mondays tend to be you know stronger for some of these stocks. Um, all right, Chris, anything else on your watch list that you're looking at today? Sure. Hard not to look at Trade Desk. Beat earnings. Um, not gangster beat, but enough. And they also beat on revenue. Their forward guidance was slightly positive. So they really kind of got all three of their earnings looking good. And when you look at Trade Desk, it's hard to kind of deny this. I mean, you're talking from 70 to 88. What is that? 29% move in one day. And you look at the volume traded five times its normal 10-day average. That's huge. That is not common. So for a stock that normally does roughly 5 million shares on a day, it's up 500% in total volume. That's a lot. Now, the question is, does Trade Desk have the same kind of future-looking option flows that we see in AMD? Well, let's take a look at that. TD, and let's pull that out. So prior to today, so prior to today on Trade Desk, there was about 320,000 calls, 324,000 puts, 640, 650,000 options. Today alone is traded 230,000 options. That's about, you know, almost 33%, close to 40% of the total options in the universe added in one day. That's not common. And as you can see, about 170,000 calls, 60,000 puts. So about three out of every four options has been a call. Now, we do see, of course, a lot of short dated interest. You know, right here alone, just these four strikes. You're looking at 20, 28, about 70,000 roughly, 70,000 of that 220, 230,000 options. So about one third is just calls that are short dated. You are seeing a consistent amount of puts. My guess is some of this is cash secure put selling. I seriously doubt anybody's getting aggressively, you know, thinking that all of a sudden this is going to pull back to 55. Seems unlikely. So it's probably people targeting cheap premium, almost free money, basically. So when I look at that, okay, short dated looks good. There should be some fuel for Trade Desk. But when I start to extend out, it's not quite as exuberant. You start to see the volume trails off a little bit. Now you're looking at, instead of 70,000 options across those four strikes, you're looking at maybe 25,000. So it's down by about a third. And then as you extend a little bit further out to the next monthly OPEX, it drops off dramatically. Now we're looking at less than 10,000 amongst the, you know, these four strikes. So we're not seeing the long dated interest in trade desk 
that we are seeing in AMD. We're just not seeing that. And so that tells me Trade Desk is probably good for some gains today, tomorrow, Wednesday. But then Thursday, I wouldn't want to be taking any bullish bets because a lot of these short-dated options, they're going to start to get monetized. People will close them out for profits. That takes the fuel away, and we'll see a pullback on this. So I look at Trade Desk. I think there's some good plays for today. Maybe wait for a dip back to session VWAP. Um, if you look at weekly VWAP on this one here, not far. It's like right almost at the same price. So maybe 85, 86, good for long stock, maybe good for long options. But if you notice, there weren't many strikes beyond 95. And here's why. Here's your resistance. This is your prior all-time highs. We spent less than two weeks above this entire price here. So because of this major resistance, traders are looking at that saying, eh, I don't want to take option bets beyond that. AMD is in price discovery mode. It's at its all-time highs. So they have a little bit more freedom to start picking higher strikes. So I think at best, Trade Desk hits maybe 95 this week. And then I think come Thursday, Friday, this actually could be a good fade for Friday, Monday kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah, the um, it's just crazy. All these different, like there's a few of these stocks out here that are up. Uh, I mean, Trade Desk is almost up 30% right now. I mean, it's just insane, yeah. especially for a, a stock that's a $40 billion, or a, yeah, $40 billion market cap company. You typically don't see um, 30% days. But um, Chris, I know we've spoken before about Airbnb, and you've mentioned it as one of those stocks that you liked long-term as a potential uh, you know, company to kind of have that like transformative uh, impact on its in- industry. And Airbnb posted great earnings last week or the stock certainly liked it and it went up about 10 percent um fr- from a like macro standpoint so i actually went in and bought i i have been meeting to buy airbnb for the past six months year or so like however long it's been public but never had and then once it was up 10 percent after the earnings i was like all right i'm gonna get in now um but it, it seems like like why is sometimes the stock will go up a bunch after earnings and then continue to move higher from there yeah, so there could be a bunch of reasons for that, that why it would continue to go higher. If you see a lot of strikes move up in terms of volume, then that's just going to bring the support levels up. If you don't see a lot of, if you just see short dated option flows, but nothing next month or further month out, then you're going to see kind of a, a push. But then those options are going to get monetized because they have massive theta decay being short dated. So it takes the fuel out of the market. Hence why a lot of these things after great earnings can pull back. But if you see them kind of climb and then just keep going and layering up, most likely it's two things. One, you're seeing longer dated options, one month, two months, three months out that are above, you know, the current prices, or you're just seeing the strikes move up. And if you see a big concentrations of open interest and volumes move up on the strikes, well, then that's raising the support level. You know, before the earnings, they probably could have had strikes, you know, 150s, 160s, 170s. But then post earnings, you know, a lot of these strikes could have gone up. I don't know if you were a Sky High Stocks member. That's our long-term investing service. We've been long this since like the 130s. So we're up like over 30% on this one right now. For our long-term, and you still uh, like it? You still like it long-term? Yeah, it's hard not to. Hard not to like Airbnb. Sure, we're encountering resistance, things like that. But in terms of long-term kind of thing 
it's it's just hard not to feel good about it. So let me pull up Airbnb. I hadn't prepared data on that, but let me pull up Airbnb. Since I know. I like to just keep you on your toes. All good. That's what I'm here for. So prior to today, 280,000 calls, 299,000 puts, so roughly 600,000 options. Today alone, we've traded 180,000 options. And you're talking five out of every six have been calls. That's pretty decent. Now, there could be some of these calls that are taking some profits. Let's pull this over real quick. Pull. There we go. So you can see this is where we're at. Now, let's see how much of this is short dated. What was it? It was 180,000. So 38, 48, 58, 65, probably about 80,000 on the call side. Not much on the put side. Not a lot of bearish traders short dated. Everybody's still very bullish. So you look at these strikes. You, know, you kind of look at that and you see, okay, decent interest between 205 and 220. Okay, so decent. 75,000 roughly. Half of the options are literally short dated on the call side. So that might put some short-term pressure as we get Wednesday or Thursday. Now, is it translating into longer dated options next week out? Not so much. This is maybe 25, 30,000. And if we go to December, not as much. So what can I deduce from today's option flows and activity? Mostly short dated. That doesn't mean that there's not long dated support on this. It's just showing that, hey, for today's option flows, these are just short term day trades for this week type option. That's what we're seeing. If you do look at the largest open interest though, 250, if we go to January, you're also seeing largest by open interest, 200. So, you know, and you do see some at 170. So we're probably going to, if this were to pull back, 175, 170 becomes a really, really good support if you can hold options till December or January or something like that. We're encountering resistance here. This is all-time highs. So I'm not surprised that beyond the short dated, you're not seeing next week or anything out above that. Probably because traders are expecting we'll hit this, we'll pull back, create a higher base, and then rip higher. Um, but overall, I'm still bullish on this. I'm still bullish on Airbnb for sure. Yeah, I, I figured, hey, if I don't get in now, I'm going I'm to miss another move up at some point. So I, I, I knew once I got in after the 10% after earnings that I could be looking at a, a little short back in the or a little pullback in the short term. Um, but I'm comfortable with that and, and more of a long term thing for me. Me just thinking, hey, in three to five years, I think this stock is going to be higher than it is today. But I, I think by a lot, I think by a factor of three to five at least. Wow. You know, honestly, if it does pull back into the 180, 170, I would consider adding some size. Just something to think about. I would consider personally adding some size. I think that's a yeah, great location. And you're seeing traders that are filling up those strikes higher up. You know, if it does pull back there, look to add a little bit of size to that. Yeah, I love that. If my initial position, I get it a little expensive. That's just my initial position. I have different ways I can play around with the position to lower my um, cost. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I will definitely be watching this Airbnb position, looking for that two to three to four bagger like you're talking about. Um, and, and yeah, be a I mean, ten bagger. Airbnb could be a 10 bagger in five years. It could, it could be that if they continue to, you know, cause generally when you see disruptors like this, that tend to have massive valuation gains, it's because the incumbents 
have an incredible amount of inertia in what they're doing. If you look at Marriott, you look at Hilton, look at all these hotels, they've been around for a long time, some of them over 100 years. Are they really doing anything different than what they were 10, 20 years ago? Not really. Airbnb is has completely changed the kind of hospitality, you know, hotel, stay at a, you know, different location type experience. Some people, you know, maybe they do want to stay at a hotel, but some people are like, you know, I want to go to the neighborhood where most people live. I'd like to have a kitchen where I can cook my own food if I'm staying there for a week or something like that. Airbnb is just doing so many different things that hotels are not doing that that kind of separation from the incumbents, which aren't doing anything new, creates opportunities for disruptors to come in. And Airbnb is that. And if you look at a lot of people that have disrupted certain spaces, they've often produced, you know, five, 10x returns over a period of five years. That's very, very common. I love that. I'm hoping for it. Someone in the chat last week when I when I was talking about buying Airbnb, they were joking around that I was buying shares in plans of a hostile takeover because I had some ideas on how to improve the company. The first one being to just when they have the prices listed, just have them have the price be the post fees price. So yes. what you see is what you get, because that's like the biggest complaint that Airbnb gets is that you'll see a room. Yes. Uh, for a hundred dollars, and then by the time you finish paying for it with all the fees and stuff added, it's like a hundred and eighty, and it's like just put one eighty there, and I probably still totally. would have picked it, but totally. Um, or we yeah. show the difference at the same time, you know, with fees, without fees, kind of thing, or something like that, so they can gauge. Because then they can look. Yeah. Hey, are these fees high? Or are they good? You well, know, Chris, I do that. As well. Since we're both shareholders, let's get together on a letter. We'll write it to the board and say, hey, as shareholders, we would like to see this change enacted, and we'll we'll see what we can do. I'm with you on that. Totally down. All right. I'll, I'll just sign your name on it. I won't even send it to you. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> um, all right, Chris, anything else on your, on your watch list today? We've got about three minutes left. Yeah. Um, Tesla, you know, we're noticing that it's not quite having the same kind of rips that it has the prior Mondays. So if you look at many of the other Mondays, it's kind of ripped pretty heavy. That's because you know, for the last several weeks, you know, Tesla has gained in four weeks, it's gained 50% of its value. I don't know if you could say a hundred thousand cars by Kurtz selling a hundred thousand cars to Hertz or, you know, kind of doing what they're doing. Earnings justifies a 50% valuation. So where's all this price discovery coming from? It's coming from short-term option traders that are getting in early in the week and then getting out and they're just kind of gamma squeezing it up. So when I look at Tesla, We've now, you know, kind of gapped down. We're not having the normal Monday rip. And if you look on the one hour charts, you can kind of see, hmm, we've actually been correcting at these prices for now one, two, three, four, five sessions. So it seems like Tesla's taking a little bit of a breather, which is interesting because of the fact that prior to today, Tesla had roughly 6 million options out there. And today it's traded 1.1 million alone. So the fact that it's traded one six, about 15% of its options in one day, and there's a mix of calls and puts. When I look at all that, I feel like, okay, you know, this is a decent sized consolidation. You're talking 1140 up 1237. It's $100. So roughly about 10% of its entire value in a consolidation. This is the biggest consolidation we've seen. This was a small consolidation. This is a small consolidation. This is big. I think traders are kind of redistributing some of their profits. If somebody's been long from 800, they're probably taking some of their things off the board, especially if they've been long options. 
So I think we're going to have to see a weekly breakout above this or below this to get the next direction. I will say there are a large amount of January 22 options on Tesla. So that could, and they're all at or above the current strike. So that could create a bullish tailwind to the end of the year. But then come January, you might see kind of a, you know, a resettling of the price as a lot of these long-term options kind of phase out and start to get monetized. So right now, short term, I don't really want to take any of these rips right now. I'd like to, if I am going to get long, I'll look to get long and support and ideally take profit at the top and get the breakout. If it breaks down lower, then I would start looking at like 1000 for your support level, 1000, 1050 for your support level. Yeah, and, and Chris in the chat is saying that uh, today's price action might look a little different than previous Mondays um, from Elon Musk's tweet over the weekend saying he may sell 10% of his Tesla shares. Um, so definitely we'll have to keep on our eye on is, Tesla throughout the week, see Chris, if that ends up. Is Chris saying Elon's talking nonsense or I'm talking nonsense? Because Elon tweeted that over the weekend, but this has been consolidating for days. Like it yeah, hasn't. Jerry? So. I'm just curious. If Chris, I, I don't know. I, I thought he was is talking Chris about Elon. Thing, Chris is talking nonsense because yeah. Okay. Sure. That tweet is definitely there, but this, he didn't tweet this five days ago. This has been tweeting for this consulting for five sessions. So help me out, Chris. I'm trying to understand what you're saying. <laughs> We'll get some clarity from Chris. I, yeah, I mean, I, we, we talked, Spencer and I talked about the tweet at the beginning of the show. Who knows if, if that's why Tesla stock was moving lower today. But yeah, definitely out of the ordinary if, if you look back on previous Mondays. Um, but he yeah. Said, I mean, oh, he, said, he said, I'm talking nonsense. Okay. All right. Well, sure. thank you, Chris. No, nothing clarifies that clarity. Thank you, Chris, for clarifying that. We appreciate that. Uh, apologies, Chris. I, I'm talking nonsense. Okay. Not, All right. Not Chris the from the chat. Apologies to last year. Oh. The guy who was 72, 72% profit last year on 63% accuracy. Yeah, that guy who was a former broker on Wall Street, traded for a hedge fund. Yeah, this guy's talking nonsense. All right. Fair enough. I'll, I'll, I'll take your word for it. There you go. Um, yeah, Chris Capri's got a great All track. Right, Chris, I hate to go after another Chris. Normally, I like Chris's, but hey. Well, know. he spells his name. He spells his name with a K, so you don't have to oh, feel the same. Uh, Chris, you got to you know. respell your name. Then we'll then we'll have a little bit more of a communion there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Chris got a good track record. He knows what he's talking about. I, I, I don't know if there, I mean, we, we've got really good technical traders. We've had gr two great technical traders back to back on this hour on Mondays between, um, Jake Wojastic from Trendspider and then Chris Capri from second Tri skies trading. So every technical trader is going to have a slightly different strategy. We, we like to bring on different ones so we can get those strategies and, and make a, a little hodgepodge for the best way to trade technically. Chris, we love having you on. Um, we'll look forward to next Monday. Good seeing you guys. I'll see you next week. All right, AB, we're running behind again. What again? else? What else is new? We're always running late on this show. I feel like. Why am I not even on the screen, man? What, what's up with our director? Oh, there we go. What's that, up, Spencer? <laughs> what's up, Spencer? <laughs> what's up, man? Yeah, yeah, there's doing? Rohan. Oh my gosh, there's no one at my desk. Oh, there I am. I'm in two places at once. Crazy how that worked out. Uh, yeah, we we should rename the, this show Technical Mondays. I I, I think. Tech, I but the first hour it doesn't have to be technical. It's yeah, you're really right, just you're right, the second you're right, hour. You're right. You're right. Anyway, uh, hey everyone, if you enjoyed the show, drop us a like. We'd appreciate that very much. Our next show is coming out live right now. Reminder to check out the IG Forex Live event tomorrow. Can you put the link on the screen there? Tomorrow, eleven to. 
3 Eastern time, if memory serves. I'm, I don't have a laptop here. And um, no show tomorrow. No Benzinga Live tomorrow. Why? why? You know why. The Benzinga FinTech Awards all day, like 9 to 5.30, I think. On this channel, we are very excited. We are making plans. People will be in New York. We will be streaming from there, from here, from your house, everywhere. It's a very exciting time. So, BenzingaFintechAwards.com to learn more about that. And, uh, AB, we got to go because our next show is running late. Moon or bust, they're waiting for us to end. All right, let's get to it. If, if you want to learn some more about crypto, stick around for Moon or bust coming up right now with our guys, Logan Ross and Ryan McNamara. Do not go anywhere. This stream will re- redirect you to Moon or bust automatically. You do not need to do anything. So, with that, we will see y'all on Wednesday. At Parker, our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.